Hey, really glad to be with you this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Josh and uh, one of the pastors here. And today we're diving back in to our series uh, in the New Testament book of Acts. And uh, now if you're not sure what I'm talking about, well, we haven't been in Acts now for about 10 to 12 weeks. It's been quite a while. And now some of you will remember this, but for others of you, this will be something maybe you're just not that familiar with, but back in the day, if you were ever watching a TV show and it went too long, at the end of the show, at the very bottom, you'd be watching your clock going, they're not gonna wrap this up in time, there's no way. They only got 30 minutes and they got a minute left and there's so many loose ends to tie up. And then on the TV suddenly would come up to be continued. That was kind of uh, last June for us. But then the next week, when they would get going again, the episode would begin right away with, do you remember? On the last episode or previously on, right? And, and it would give kind of this previously on, whatever, so you're watching, and they'd give a recap. So that in case you forgot in the week in between everything that had happened, you'd be set up and ready to go forward. Or if you just totally missed it and didn't own a VCR and didn't remember to schedule it to record with a blank tape, uh, that you could get caught up if, because there was, listen, there was no way you were seeing that again, right? You couldn't catch it on Hulu the next day. It was just, you were done until the rerun started about six months later. That's just how it worked. Well, today, as we get started, we're starting right here with uh, previously in the book of Acts. Because I want to get you caught up before we dive in and keep going again, because we spent all of last year so much, we're about halfway through the book of Acts, a little past that, and I just want to set up everywhere that we've been before we get started. You good with that? All right, well, here we go then. Previously, in the book of Acts, here's what happened. First off, the book of Acts is uh, intended to be a historical account of... Uh, the birth and growth of Jesus's church. If the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are about everything that Jesus did, his, his birth, his death, his resurrection, everything he accomplished for us, his ministry, Acts, we read at the very beginning, is about everything that Jesus continued to do through his people. And the book of Acts opens with Jesus ascending and going back to be with the Father. And so uh, the book of Acts is then just this historical account of how the church grew, how it all got started after Jesus ascended and went back to the Father. The guy who wrote it is a guy by the name of Luke. And in our passage where we get to today, we're going to see where Paul actually meets Luke and Luke joins the team for the first time. It's written along with the gospel of Luke as like two parts. The Gospel of Luke is the 30 years leading up to, from Jesus' birth up to his death on the cross and his resurrection. The book of Acts covers roughly the next 30 years after Jesus' ascension and the growth of the church. And Luke writes them in parts one and two to a guy by the name of Theophilus, most excellent Theophilus, if you want to be exact. And that could have been some kind of government official in Rome. That could have meant, Theophilus means lover of God. It could have just meant to, to all people who love God. And it's written um, to him and to us. And it gives us that history. And it's the connecting link between Jesus' life and the life of the church. And so I thought it might be helpful too, just to give you a little geography. Because one of the things about the book of Acts is we see the church spread 
And a lot of it's related to geography. And you see all these different places that we read about, we're gonna see some today, that maybe you've never heard of and you don't, just, you don't have an idea of where that lines up. So I, I just wanna help you and bring this all back to mind. So first off, the geography of this region, this is Israel. And uh, Israel, modern day Israel is kind of right over here and it's on the north end is a, the Sea of Galilee or what I would call the Lake of Galilee because it's just a big lake. And then a, a small river runs out of it, the Jordan River, down into the Dead Sea in the south. And in the middle of this land is the city of Jerusalem. Maybe you've heard of that. It's in the same spot in the Bible as it is today, if you look at it on a map. And the area surrounding Jerusalem is an area known as Judea. It's just the region around there. Uh, to the north, the region around Lake Galilee is the region of Galilee. And in between them is this region called Samaria. And in Acts 1, verse 8, we get an outline of the entire narrative of the book of Acts, of everything that's going to happen, where in Acts 1.8, we read this. Jesus gives some instructions before his ascension. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Jesus is leaving, but he's sending the Spirit. And you'll be my witnesses, he says to, to his disciples, in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so it spreads out from Jerusalem. And that's the pattern of the entire book of Acts. That's how it all goes. Uh, now, one other thing that might be helpful, though, is just to give you an idea of how small of an area this is and relate it again to where we live. Uh, because I don't know about you, not many of us in this room have been to Israel. And so uh, it just gives you a little bit of perspective of how small this area is. So uh, in case uh, you didn't know where you are on a map, this is where you are right now. If you're in this room at Wawasee Bible, you're right here. That's you. You got it? If you pull out your phone and look on a map, that's where you're going to be. And then uh, next to us is uh, this lake, Wawasee, and the whole area around it is named after that lake. And then to our south is Warsaw, and you go a little further south is Kokomo, and go down a couple hours, you get to Indianapolis. Well, let me overlay the map of what we're talking about in the book of Acts primarily, at least where it begins, and kind of where we live to give you some scale. If we lived in Galilee, if the lake in the middle was not called Wawasee, but Galilee, and if the area around here was not called Wawasee, but Galilee, we would be right here, and to our south would be Warsaw, kind of in Samaria. Kokomo would be about where Jerusalem is, and Indianapolis would be down around the southern part of the Dead Sea. And that gives you some scale of just how small this whole area is. Well, um, this is the region where everything begins, and in Acts 1 through 7, the whole story starts in the city of Jerusalem. Everything in the first seven chapters happens in Jerusalem. Jesus ascends, the church is born, the Holy Spirit comes. Um, uh, the church grows so much that they don't know what to do, so they appoint deacons as servants to serve and to feed people and care for them. And the church just continues to grow from Jerusalem. But in Acts chapter 7, at the end of chapter 7 in Jerusalem, a guy by the name of Stephen wouldn't quit talking about Jesus. And so the leaders of the Jewish people uh, killed him and murdered him because he wouldn't keep talking about Jesus. And when you get to Acts chapter 8 then, we read this in the very opening of chapter 8. 
that Saul, this guy named Saul, approved of Stephen's execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Remember what Jesus said? He said, you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then Judea and then Samaria. And the thing that got him to actually do that was a pretty hard thing. They were faced incredible persecution for their faith. And so the church begins to spread out. And uh, you get to chapter eight, they're spread out into Jerusalem and uh, Judea and Samaria, excuse me, and this guy named Philip goes up to the city of Samaria And there the gospel gets spread to the Samaritans for the first time. And then God miraculously brings him to an Ethiopian eunuch down on the road to Gaza. And he receives the gospel and the gospel starts spreading down into Africa. And then in chapter nine, that guy Saul who approved of Stephen's murder is on his way to murder more Christians in a city in Syria called Damascus. And on his way in Acts chapter nine, Jesus appears to him on the road And uh, Saul falls down, goes blind, hears Jesus say, why are you persecuting me? And Saul becomes a follower of Jesus. He's converted. And and he's uh, in Damascus then. He, He fell down somewhere right out here. And up here in Damascus now, he's there for a few days blind. He meets a guy named Ananias. And then from there, Saul takes off. And we don't really hear or see from Saul for about 14 or 15 years after all this. But the the church keeps growing. Because uh, then, uh, we'll see if it goes here, in Acts chapter 10, uh, a guy named Peter goes down to Joppa and and to uh, Caesarea and the, the gospel spreads to Gentiles and then it moves up and the center becomes from Jerusalem to this little city called Antioch where it's the first place people are called Christians, the followers of Jesus. And throughout the time after this, Paul gets recruited back by a guy named Barnabas and he goes out and starts spreading the gospel all around what is today modern day Turkey. He hops on a ship from Antioch with Barnabas and they had a young guy by the name of John Mark with them. They sailed to the island of Cyprus where Barnabas was from and they keep preaching the gospel. Some refer to this as Paul's first missionary journey or his first church planting journey, I think is maybe a better way to say it. And he takes off there and then after their time in Cyprus, uh, they sail north up to the mainland again to Perga. And when they get here, keep this in mind, that young guy named John Mark totally deserts him and heads home to Jerusalem. Now we don't know why, if he was just young and scared or if Paul's personality was so intense he just couldn't take it anymore, we don't know. But he's gone. Keep that in mind for the text today. And then they continue on their journey, planting churches. They go up to another town of Antioch, and uh, from there they go on uh, to the east to Iconium, and from Iconium they go down to Lystra, and uh, in Acts chapter 14, and from Lystra to a town named Derbe. And then after all this, they make their way back around and they sail back home here to Antioch in Acts chapter 15. And in Acts chapter 15, when they're back in Antioch, the church in Jerusalem is finding out about all these Gentiles coming to faith, and they've got to decide, do these new Christians need to follow Jewish customs or or not? And they determine, no, they don't. They just need to follow Jesus and be obedient. And so we wrapped up in June 
seeing the church grow and seeing the Jerusalem church say, the leaders say, you don't need to do anything other than be obedient to Jesus, follow him, and repent and turn to him in faith. That's all it takes to be a Christian. Simple act of faith. Well, they're in Acts uh, chapter 15. They stay there in Antioch for some days, as we're gonna see here for a, a couple years probably. And uh, now you're caught up to date. Now you know exactly what happened in the book of Acts. Now if we were watching this on TV, here's what would happen next. The credits would roll. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What does Jesus's mission look like here? What's his mission here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What is Jesus's mission here? How do I know what Jesus's mission is? Good morning. My name is Josh. It's good to be with you today. Welcome to all of you joining us online. And we're continuing in our series in the book of Acts. If you got your Bible, turn with me to Acts uh, chapter 16 and then go back a few verses to the end of chapter 15. And we're going to pick it up right there in Acts chapter 15, uh, starting in verse 36. Let's, let's read here together. After some days while they were in Antioch, Paul said to Barnabas, we don't know exactly how many days it was, it, it could have been up to a couple years though. Paul says to Barnabas, hey, let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Let's go back to all those churches we planted and just see how things are going. Now, uh, Barnabas uh, seemed to agree to that because they had been through Cyprus where he originally was from and he, he was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go back and see everybody. But notice who Barnabas wants to bring with him. He wants to bring with them this guy named John, who is also called Mark. Do you remember John Mark, what he did? He deserted Paul, and he deserted Barnabas on their first journey. After they left Cyprus, they sailed up to Perga, and John Mark was out of there. Well, uh, Barnabas was willing to give him a second chance, but Paul, not so much. Look, but Paul thought it best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia. That was the region where Perga was and had not gone with them to do the work. Paul's like, I don't, I don't know, Barnabas. I mean, John bailed on us. I don't think we can trust him. Now, we don't know why John bailed. Again, was it just because of Paul's intensity? Was it just because he was young? Whatever the case, Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement, was willing to take another chance on John Mark. But uh, Paul was not having it. And we're not told many details other than this next line. There arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Wow. That word, sharp disagreement there, means um, a pretty intense, heated argument. 
It can mean just uh, irreconcilable conflict. And Paul and Barnabas, it, it got heated. So much to the point that these two guys who had been doing ministry for years together and had gone out and planted churches and seen people come to faith in Christ and seen all kinds of miraculous things happen, now, after all of that, over this young guy named John Mark, they're like, nope, I can't do it anymore. And they split up. That seems like a huge setback, doesn't it? To the gospel going forward. I mean, what's wrong with these guys? Why can't they just be mature and figure it out? What's the deal? Well, uh, one of the things I want you to see right away as we go through here is that God can turn every setback. He can turn it. Because make no mistake, this was a setback. It, it, it was. I mean, for Paul and Barnabas to go together would have been a great thing. It would have demonstrated unity to the churches they went to. I mean, when they get there, what are they gonna say to the churches? Barnabas, hey, where's, where's Paul? Um... Hey, Paul, is Barnabas coming too? I don't, not, not this time, nope. And from this point on, we never hear of Barnabas or John Mark again in the book of Acts. And what I'm seeing here is that these, this is real life, isn't it? Have you ever had situations like that where you just have a conflict with somebody or with someone or some situation and you get to the end of it and you're like, I don't even understand what happened. Like, why was it even like that? <laughs> and it's just this big division and it feels like a huge setback in life. That was Paul and Barnabas. And it was, it was a real setback. See, uh, Barnabas took Mark with him and he sailed away to Cyprus. And then Paul, he chose Silas, who had been from the church in Jerusalem, a leader there, and he departed with him. He was commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord in the church of Antioch, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. He was in Antioch, and here's kind of the geography again. Uh, Barnabas and Mark sail back to Cyprus. Uh, Paul and Silas go to these areas right in through here. This is where Paul was originally from, around Tarsus there. But this, is, this feels like a real setback. I mean, what about, what about unity? What about all those things? It, it makes sense, I think, too, in part, Paul's words in the book of Philippians, which we'll see here in a few weeks when Paul gets to Philippi. He said, I, I know how to be brought low. I'm guessing that was a low point for Paul. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do, here's what it is, here's the secret. I can do all things, though, through Christ who helps me. And that real setback, whatever it is, I mean, what, what is it for you? Maybe there are some relationships that are strained. Maybe there's just situations you're like, I don't understand this. But here's what I want you to see, and what we're going to see this morning is that God can take every setback. Those that are just, they don't make sense, they're kind of circumstantial and personality driven, even to those that are due to sin on, on our part or on the part of someone else. And God can take every setback and turn it into a setup. 
he can turn it into a set up. Let's keep reading and see what God was setting up with this disagreement. First chapter 16, verse one, Paul also came to Derby and to Lystra. That was uh, where he had been previously, right? Remember he had uh, planted churches there, so he leaves and he makes it to Derby and to Lystra. This time he doesn't sail around, this time he's just going back across Turkey. And he comes to Derby and Lystra and a disciple was there named Timothy. Now some of you, if you know, if you've read the New Testament, you've heard of this young guy named Timothy. And Timothy was from Lystra. He was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And the implication here is that his father was not a believer, only his mother was. Later we read that also his grandmother was a believer and that he was trained up in the way of the Lord. At some point, likely because of Paul's ministry in Lystra and Derby previously, Timothy comes to faith. And now years later, uh, Timothy is a young man and Paul's coming through and uh, he runs into him. And look what we read about Timothy. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And so Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. He used to have a young guy with him that he was training in John Mark and now he, he really wanted someone else. Well, look, God provided Timothy. And throughout all of this, what I want you to see is God had a plan. Was it God's desire for Paul and Barnabas to have conflict? I don't, I don't know. But did it catch God off guard? No. Did it thwart what he was up to? No. Does God know the situations you're in, some of the setbacks in your life? He knows them. He allowed them. Is it his like distinct will that you go through this and this be really hard? I don't know. But did it catch him off guard? No. Does he still have a plan? Yes. Is he bigger than that setback? Absolutely. And he can turn every setback into a setup. One of the biggest ones was in the Old Testament where God's people were slaves in Egypt and we read at the end of chapter two that God saw the people of Israel and he knew. He knew what was going on. It didn't catch him off guard. And we read in Romans, Paul also writes later that we know that for those who love God, all things work together in the end for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All that to say God had a plan. And part of that plan, part of that setup was that God, or that Paul would meet Timothy. See, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, so he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek, but his mother was Jewish. Now, previously in Acts chapter 15, we had just read about how the Jewish church said, no, you don't have to be circumcised. There, are, there is no uh, requirement for somebody to come and be a follower of Jesus, just to repent and follow him. So why is Paul doing this? Well, he's being a good missionary. He's helping Timothy and setting him up to be a good missionary and church planter that he would be all things to all people. Those are some of Paul's words later in his letter to the church in Corinth. Here's what he writes to them. He said, uh, for though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all so that I might win more of them. This is kind of Paul having no sacred cows. He was just willing to change anything and let go of anything other than the truth of God's word and of who God is and of the gospel. 
if it meant that more people could be won to faith in Christ, because that was his mission. And so that's what he's doing with Timothy. He doesn't want there to be uh, extra conflict for him. He's just saying, why don't you just do this? I know you don't have to, but do this so that uh, there would be less of a barrier for more people to meet Christ. He says, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being under it myself, that I might win those who are under it. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside, the Gentiles. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak, and he just keeps going. To where finally he says, I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. If we had time, this would be a great passage just to look at and examine what's it look like to be an effective missionary? What's it look like to be an effective church planter? What's it look like to be an effective pastor? Well, part of that is when you come in with a group of people that are not you, you don't come in demanding they all become like you. As you reach out as an evangelist and as a missionary to the people in your neighborhood, the people you work with, you're not going in just demanding they all become like you. It's no, you find ways to become like them in a way that's honoring to God, to win them, to get to know them, to spend time with them, so that why? you might win some of them to faith in Christ. And you do that because you love them. You really want to get to know them. You really want to spend time with them. You really want to befriend them. Not as a project, but as people. And that's what Paul's doing here, and that's why Timothy gets circumcised. See, they, they went on their way then through the cities. They delivered to them for observance the decisions that were reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem that all it takes is faith in Christ. And it's for anyone. Just trust him and turn to him. So the churches were strengthened in the faith because of this. And they increased in numbers daily. That setback and that argument between Paul and Barnabas now turned into a setup to strengthen the churches. And what's really kind of cool, we don't read about what happened with Barnabas and John Mark, but I imagine some similar things are happening on Cyprus. So now not only is the gospel going one way with Paul and Timothy, it's also going a different way with Barnabas and John Mark. And God had a plan and he turned that huge setback into a setup to advance the gospel. Do you see? And he can do the same and does the same in our lives. Well, he does that as, like Paul, we surrender to his will. As we surrender to his will. Let's keep reading, and then we're going to talk about that question. Well, what is God's will? Well, they went through the region of Phrygia, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they came up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus didn't allow them then. Here's where they're heading. They're heading west, and they go through Phrygia and Galatia, and they want to go up to Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit doesn't allow them. Hey, Paul wants to go to Asia, but the Spirit doesn't allow him. So they go through Mysia, and they're going to end up in this city called Troas. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. 
And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. It was across the sea there. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, we, who's we? Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. Oh man, so not only did God set up Paul meeting Timothy, now he set up him meeting Luke. Evidently, Luke was somewhere in Mysia or Troas because after they get there, Luke starts writing in the second person, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now Luke's part of the story. God took this huge setback and set up so many things. But one of the things here was Paul was obedient to the will of God, he surrendered to his will as the spirit led. Because remember, he wanted to go one way, but what did we read? The, the spirit of God forbade him to go that way. And so he tried to go another way, and it says the spirit of Jesus wouldn't let him go this way. It kind of makes me wonder a little bit. Well, how did he know the Holy Spirit was leading him? Do you ever wonder that? We talk about, or I talk about surrendering to God's will. Well, what is God's will? How do you know it? How do you know when the Holy Spirit's following or uh, leading me and that I'm following him? Does it ever seem mysterious to you? And just almost kind of really fuzzy and like, yeah, I don't, it's weird. If it does, you're not alone because it can feel that way to me a lot of times as well. So I thought it might help us as we wrap up this morning if God's going to take setbacks in our lives and turn them into a setup as we surrender to his will, what's it look like to surrender to his will? How do we know what his will is? How do we know how to follow the spirit? Well, uh, the first thing we should recognize is that the way the spirit leads us is that he never does anything that's contrary to what God's written in his word and that does not exalt Jesus Christ. That's what the Spirit does. Uh, when the Spirit of truth comes, Jesus says, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Jesus said, he will glorify me, for he will take what's mine and declare it to you. That's why sometimes the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ or the Spirit of Jesus, as we just read. The Holy Spirit always and only glorifies Jesus. So one of the ways to know, is the Holy Spirit leading me to do this? Well, would that honor Jesus if I did that? If the answer is no, then I can tell you unequivocally, the Holy Spirit is not leading you to do that. Because the Holy Spirit only does what is glorifying to Jesus Christ. Therefore, 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit always glorifies Jesus. So with that in mind, how does the spirit lead? Well, he leads in a variety of ways. You've got just on your handout this morning a whole list of the ways that God leads in the book of Acts. But let's see if this helps. Let's think of it in terms of a scale, from the ways that we know the Holy Spirit always leads to the ways that he sometimes, or maybe you might say rarely, leads. Well, first off, the Holy Spirit always leads right here, through his word. 
It's the primary way God speaks to you, friends, and to me. That's why it's so important to gather to hear God's word taught. Not because I have anything good to say, but because in doing that, the Holy Spirit's working and teaching us what God has said. So the primary thing, and again, if, if you're like, oh, the Holy Spirit's leading me to do this, well, if it's contrary to what is written down, he's not gonna deny himself. He's gonna lead you through his word. So always compare it first and foremost, what does God's word say? Another way that he leads us then is through obedience to him, doing what God's word says, and not only hearing from him, but talking to him in prayer, through obedience and prayer. If, if, you're, if you're like, I think the Holy Spirit's leading me to do this, and you're like, yeah, but I haven't read my Bible in about three weeks, and I don't really pray. Maybe the Holy Spirit is leading you to do that, but it'd be a lot clearer if you were reading his word and obeying him and speaking to him in prayer. Do you see? Because that's a primary way he leads. Another way he regularly leads us through other Christians who are also doing these things. Getting input and letting other people speak into my life. Wrestling with them. Hey, I'm thinking about this, but I'm not sure. Would you pray about this with me? Or what do you think? You seem to be wise. Am I crazy? Or do you think that's God's leading in my life? And talk to other Christians. And oftentimes, God simply leads, the Spirit often leads just through circumstances. Did you notice when Paul was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go into these different areas, we're not told exactly how the Holy Spirit did that. We don't know if he heard a voice. We don't know if a prophetic word came to him through someone else. We don't know if just the bridge was out and he couldn't go that way. Because often the Holy Spirit just leads through the mundane as we follow him and surrender to his will through ordinary circumstances. And the things we read sometimes in scripture, I mean, that's how Jesus followed the spirit. He spent time with him in prayer. He got away reading his word. And occasionally, but rarely, at least in my experience and even in scripture, the Holy Spirit will lead through extraordinary means. So does he sometimes? Yeah. Could God still speak audibly to you? He absolutely could. Could he do a miracle and lead you somewhere? Absolutely he could. But should I wait for that to happen? No, because those are really the exceptions, not the norm. And what I need to follow is what I know he's already revealed to me which is reading and obeying his word and moving forward. And then if he decides to reveal himself in a miraculous way, sweet. But otherwise I'm sitting around just waiting and I'm never growing. I'm never growing closer to him. I'm never learning. And then if something extraordinary happens, I just go on a whim and follow it. And I've never taken time to test it and say, well, is that the Holy Spirit? Because God's word actually says something totally different than what I see going on here. He always leads through his word. Do you see? So if you want to know God's will um, and experience it, obey him. Read his word. Obey the light that you have. 
And God will reveal those other things to you as you, as you follow. And sometimes he'll leave you with choices. And it's just, sometimes you just make a choice that's honoring to God. Because here's the deal. God's, blue, God's uh, will for your life is often not a blueprint as much as it is a game plan. <laughs> Blueprints give every detail. Game plans just say, hey, we're gonna go this direction, we're gonna follow him. And as I'm going, as I'm following, like Paul, he might shut some doors in my way. Okay, well then I'm gonna keep going and I'm gonna go this way. And he's gonna probably shut some doors and then it's gonna go back this way until eventually you just kind of narrow it down and, and he leads you in that direction. It's kind of like the old adage, it's really hard to steer a parked car. Like God often leads just as you're moving forward and following him in obedience. Um, friends, what's clear in this passage this morning is that there are real setbacks in life. There is real conflict. But God can take every setback, even the ones that are the result of our sin, and he can turn it into a setup as we surrender to his will. Meaning I'm in his word, I'm spending time in prayer, I'm receiving from other Christians, paying attention just to them in the mundane areas of life, following him. And who knows, maybe even in the mundane, he might speak in a miraculous way to me. Let me pray.